This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. And now, from the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Mind Your Business with the Wharton Small Business Development Center. Knowledge, advice, and insight into starting, building, and managing a small business. Here is your host, Lauren Feldman. Welcome to Mind Your Business on SiriusXM's business radio powered by the Warden School. I'm Lauren Feldman. I used to be senior editor for entrepreneurship at Forbes. I'm now chief content officer of a growing community of businesses called the Oxford Center for Entrepreneurs. My assignment for the Oxford Center is to build a content platform for business owners, but uh, we'll talk more about that in, uh, in coming months as we get a little further along. Today, as usual, we're not going to tell you how to run your business. This show is about ideas and strategies and conversations, and we want to have those conversations with you. If there's something you've been struggling with, especially if it involves something, something holding you back, like an inability to raise money or to quit the day job or something, some hurdle you can't get over, call us. Let's see if we can help. We're at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-942. 7866. And let me emphasize, this is a safe space for business owners. If you're struggling with something, trust me, someone else listening to the show is probably struggling with it too. In other words, there are no stupid questions. And back with us today to help us answer those questions is one of our regular guests, Jay Goltz, founder and CEO of the Goltz Group. Jay's based in Chicago, where he owns the largest picture framing shop in the country and several, several other businesses, including a home furnishing store. He's a manufacturer, a retailer, a distributor. He sells online. And most important, as he likes to say, he's made every mistake a business owner can make. Welcome back to the show, Jay. Always great to be here. Always great to have you. Uh, so, Jay, what's holding you back? Uh, I still haven't fully financially, emotionally, or intellectually recovered from 2008. You know, I'm in the home furnishing market, so it took a major 30% hit back then. And while I've gotten most of them back up to where they need to be, it's still, the the world's changed between the meltdown and the changing buying patterns and the millennials buying patterns. It's just, it's a, you know, you constantly have to, to reinvent yourself and figure out how to go to market. You know, it's funny. Uh, I thought of you yesterday. I was listening to a podcast, and the advertiser on the podcast was a company that sells picture frames online. And the people reading the ad were were talking uh, about how expensive it is to get a, a, a picture framed. Is that what you're talking about? Has is that you know? Uh, um, um, you know, this this was a podcast I think aimed at millennials, not me. Right. Um, is that the change that you're referring to? No. Yes, not really. Here's how many companies do we hear about? They went in, oh, I can't believe how expensive blank is, and then they're going to save the world from these people. And the reality is, see if that company's making any money. Um, picture framing is not inexpensive because it's custom. You're you're starting from scratch. You're, you're standing there with a customer for half an hour. You're picking stuff out. And at the end of the day, is it really that expensive to spend two hundred dollars? People buy a tie for two hundred dollars, mass produced in China. You know, this is a custom made product. So, <laughs> not me. Not, well, some people do. If you go to the stores, there's lots of them out there, and and uh, you know, there's it's, it's a big business. So the, the point is, though, um, they're 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 not disrupting the business. They're they're getting some business for sure, and um, the whole world is not going to start buying picture framing online. The problem is. 
I got into it. I'm a young baby boomer. I got into it right when it started taking off, and the baby boomers pushed the custom picture framing business for the last 40 years because they were traveling more than their parents. They were buying signed number prints. They were getting post posters were were fairly new back in the, the 60s. I mean, that's when they were really got popular. So the point is, the baby boomers aren't framing pictures anymore, and their kids are buying iPads and are living in apartments with nothing on their wall. And it's for every baby boomer that's retiring and not buying more picture framing. There's not necessarily a replacement for them. There used to be 25,000 frame shops in America. Now there's 8,000. Wow. Um, not that it went down that much. Some of the smaller ones went out. But, but I'd say it's down about 30% from its peak. So one has to readjust the way they, you know, they go to market. So, so you've identified a, a serious challenge. Um, do, you, do you have a, you know, I'm sure this happens to you from time to time. You have to confront a challenge along these lines. Do you have a process for dealing with that? Um, you know what? After 40 years, yeah, every week. I mean, I, I have a whole different mentality than I had 30 years ago. And I, I'll just tell you my four, and I tell people this that are young entrepreneurs, and they tell me it was helpful, so I'll just share it with you. The first thing is, it is what it is. I mean, whether it's the government, whether it's the bank, whether it's your neighbors, whether it's a customer, whatever it is, it is what it is. There's, there's, no, there's no upside to whining in entrepreneurship, which gets to two. Just deal with it. There's, there's always something you can do. I, I can't think of a problem I've ever had in business where there wasn't some solution that I could do to at least you know, make it better. There's always something you can do. So instead of complaining about it, you just you deal with it. Number three is, in most businesses, I'm on a good and noble mission. I'm trying to do beautiful picture framing for people and make their houses nicer. I'm trying to sell furniture for their houses. We're selling art. I'm, I'm trying to keep 110 people gainfully employed. So what I'm doing is a good thing. I, you have to remind yourself sometimes. It's not like you're out there trying to cheat anybody. You're, you're trying to, to do a positive thing. And the last one, and maybe the most important one, is everybody needs to fill in the blank how, what, what they're their little soundtrack in their head is, but in mine, it's Rocky too. He's getting his head kicked in and, and he's sitting there in the corner and he looks up at Mickey and he goes, I ain't going down no more. If you lose your resolve, you're toast. And, and there's no question. It took me many years to figure out that's, that's what, that's what I just, there's something in me that, that I just, maybe I got to go to sleep at night and, and sleep it off. But the next morning I get up with renewed vigor of, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to deal with it. Whether you call it stubbornness, whether you call it headstrong, whether you call it resilience, whatever it is, you can't lose that because business isn't easy. And there's always going to be something coming down the road. And I believe there's usually some solution to it. So um, that's, that's my four things. I'm Lauren Feldman. My guest is Jay Goltz. We're talking about issues that uh, hold businesses and business owners back. If you've got something to share, a comment, a question, a suggestion, please give us a call. We're at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Our producer, Michelle Stucker, is standing by waiting for your calls. So, so Jay, let's let's apply that approach to to the problem you identified because uh, right. it's not obvious to me how you do that. You, the problem you identified is right. it's kind of a, a it's a macro problem. It's a it's a market problem. How right. do you, as an individual so, owner, deal with an that? Example. I'm not complaining about it. it. Is what it is. So the next thing is dealing with it. So I realize I sell better, nicer better service. I have an amazing selection we get from all over the world. And I realize that 
the market segmentation, I need to go after customers to care because most people don't. I'd say 96% of the population have never been to a frame shop and will never go into a frame shop. It's just not what they're interested in. So I need to cater to the better customers that want nicer, better, more interesting. So I opened a store by the Merchandise Mart in Chicago, right on Wells, just a block from the Merchandise Mart, a huge building with designers in it. And that entire neighborhood is where designers go to buy their lighting, their carpeting, whatever. So I opened the store down there, and as I expected, it's off to a good start. I mean, I'm catching a lot of designers down there that I wouldn't normally have, that might not have driven to Lincoln Park because it's, I mean, it's only two miles away, but designers are busy, and it's it's just Everybody's busy. When, when did you open the store? Uh, six weeks ago. And early returns, it's, it's I'm getting all kinds of customers that didn't that we didn't have before. So that's one thing. And the second thing I did is, I expanded my line of, of pre-made frames that are better than what's out there. We kind of we call it kind of custom, meaning they're better frames than you can usually buy in a store, but they're they're already made to a particular size. But 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 they look better. They're made with better frame molding. So we brought a whole line in of those, and those seem to be you know getting the market. So people that don't want to spend you know it's it's not going to be twenty dollars, but but still they can save some money, but still get a great looking product, and it's it's you know, appealing to people who are trying to, you know, not spend as much money. And the fact is, a lot of what's being framed today is photographs more than ever. So they're standard sizes. So we, so that's working. So, you know, like I said, I'm dealing with it and it's helping and I'm forging on. Is this a store where you, I mean, you only have one picture framing shop in Chicago, right? No, 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 no. no. I've got three stores. Oh. I've got my big ones in Chicago on Lincoln, in Lincoln Park on Clybourne. I've got one in Highland Park, and then now I've got the one in Wells. So I've got three locations. But my, my location on Clybourne is literally 20 times the size of the average picture frame shop in America. I mean, it's... And, and that's what I was getting at. It. The, the one you just opened is nowhere close to that, I'm guessing. It, no, no. But if it does, um, if it does well, of what I do, I'm I'm fine. I mean, it's it's uh, and people even in the industry don't. I could mathematically show you how I got the business. Now, keep in mind, it's forty years. It's simple. I don't lose a lot of customers. We do a better job. And if I I could show you mathematically that if you could grow at ten percent a year versus grow at three percent a year, after forty years, you end up with a multi-million dollar gigantic business in relative terms or unless there's a life-changing event like you were describing we, we you know we went through the great recession and that changed that dynamic for you apparently well i'll tell you what here here's a perfect example i, I literally within a couple months boom 30 percent market drop i looked at my overhead and i said to myself this isn't just a normal recession. This is a whole world world reorder, and I, I realized I had to get my overhead out. So I found a building to do production out of for literally a third of the price what I was paying where I was at. And I bought the building really cheap because nobody was buying real estate back then. And my accountant said to me, there's a lesson in this. He accountant goes, boy, that's risky. I said, if I don't do this, I don't know if I'll be in business in five years. So sometimes it looks risky, but it really isn't. It's it's it, and it turned out to be the watershed moment. I've got this beautiful eighty-five thousand foot building, twenty-seven foot high ceilings, three loading docks, and my overhead cost is a third of what it was before, and that goes right to the bottom line. So I didn't just sit around whining about it. I and it was a little scary, but you know, I I realized you got to do what you got to do sometimes. So. That's what I did to fix the situation, and it put me in a much better place now, eight years later, that I'm, you know, I've got lower overhead costs. That's a great example. Uh, let's take a phone call. 
We have uh, Laura Zander on the line from uh, Nevada. Laura has been a guest on this show. She is the uh, founder and CEO of Jimmy Beans Wool. It's a, a kind of a neighborhood yarn shop uh, that became kind of the Internet's neighborhood yarn shop. Welcome back to the show, Laura. Hi, Lauren. Thank you. I love the description. The neighborhood online yarn shop. That's awesome. I think I got that from you. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> I think so. Wow, that was really clever. <laughs> then it must have come from you. Um, well, welcome back. Uh, it, it's good to hear your voice again. I, I know you know Jay. Uh, are you calling because there's something holding you back, Laura? <laughs> yeah, how much time do you have? <laughs> we like, got a few minutes. Let's talk. <laughs> uh, yes, I've got a lot of stuff holding me back. Um, but usually it's myself that's holding me back. Um but what's going on right now, which I would love to get your thoughts on, Jay, and Lauren as well, is this whole – I just picked up this new book, and I'm obsessed with it, and it's called Retail Seismic Shift. And as a retail store that is both a brick-and-mortar and an online shop, we have been experiencing – we've been struggling for the last couple of years to try to figure out why we're not growing the way that we used to grow. And I'm reading some books about retail and trying to figure this out. Um, and I think the big roadblock that I have has been that I've been really stuck and in the way that we used to do things and thinking that consumers behave the way that they did 10 years ago. Um, even though I think I'm progressive, you know, I'm really finding that I'm not and that I'm really stuck in the old way of doing things and I'm having a hard time kind of systematically, I guess I need to systematically reevaluate or something because my instincts just aren't as accurate as they were before. Does that make any sense? It, it does. What, tell us, what, what's the old way that you're describing? How, when you were growing, what was working? Um, you know, the, the kinds of campaigns, um, the way that we talked to people. You know, are we, are we a store that you know the owner or are we a store, are we a brand that is kind of ownerless and faceless? Um, you know, and we've gone through, uh, are we big? Are we small? Are we niche? Are we general? Um, do we carry everything or should we only carry something, you know, and we've gone through in 16 years in the beginning, we were obviously owner led, small niche, didn't carry a lot, but only because we couldn't afford to carry a ton. And then we grew and we carried everything and we were the end-all be-all for everything. Carried everything and uh, end-all be-all in the yarn or knitting fact, space. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, not Amazon. <laughs> uh, but you know what? To be fair, you know, we, then we expanded into fabric. We thought, you know, our customers also sew. They also bead. They also do this other stuff. So why not be like kind of a... Um, a boutique level Joann's and offer all kinds of things related to crafting. And so we went that direction and now we're kind of finding ourselves going back to our roots and being small and being more niche and, and narrowing our selection, narrowing things as opposed to expanding in order to grow, which is kind of, you know, uh, just not what I thought it was going to be. Don't you think, correct me if I'm wrong, hasn't the market changed and that you have way more competition now when, than when you started? Weren't you like the first one out there to do this and you had not a lot of competition and now they've paying, they're paying attention? Is that part of it? Yes. Well, now <laughs> it's not so obvious. 
but it's okay. not. Where, where's the competition coming from, Laura? Is it from uh, big companies or uh, smaller companies like yours? Um, as it turns out, after hours and hours of analysis, um, it's both. So what we've discovered um, and what is, you know, what I'm learning in these books as well is that the barrier to entry is a lot lower than it was 10 years ago, to Jade's point. Like, you know, in the beginning, we built the site ourselves because you couldn't just buy. There was no Shopify. Um, now there are 2,000 yarn shops in the country, and now probably all 2,000 of them have websites that you can buy stuff from. You know, and that has really accelerated over the last couple of years. But then we've also, because our market uh, has become a little romanticized, I guess, we've gotten VC money coming in. So we have a number of different businesses in our space that have raised upwards of $50 million. So our whole marketplace, and, and then you've got Amazon, of course, um, and now a lot of our suppliers are selling direct. A lot of them are selling through Amazon. So Jay's completely right. The competition is is enormous. Have you sold through Amazon at all? No. So the difference between my journey and your journey is I just went into the frame business and just did a better job than what was out there. And business took off like crazy and doubled every year for years. You had somewhat of a new concept of what you were doing. And I would argue now is the time. You, you made it in the beginning because of new concept, great execution. And my argument now would be you need to look at your execution and what you're doing and just be better than everyone else because just because they have venture capital doesn't mean they're smarter because I'm dealing with that too, that they keep throwing money at stuff because they think they got this quote-unquote new concept. And not really. Um, it, they've just got a lot of venture capital. So the question is, let's do a little diagnosis here. Let's look at the three areas. Management, how many people do you have? Uh, about 40. Okay. Of the 40, you think any of them are listening right now? I hope not. <laughs> okay, let's go with that. Uh, of the 40, do you have anybody working for you that if you were to rate them between a 1 and a 10, 10 being the perfect employee, which do exist. I got a couple of them. Lots of 9s, lots of 8s. Do you have any 7s and downs working for you or 6s and downs? Very few, but one or two. Okay. So it would beg the question of, I would argue sixes kill your business because they're, the reason they're sixes is they're not doing something right, which must result in either your cost being too high or aggravating customers or other employees. So the first thing I would do is I would, I would focus on management and say to yourself, I can no longer afford the luxury of keeping people around because they're nice or I'm nice or everybody's nice, that I have to be a manager and do what I have to do and tune up your management to where you can look in the mirror and say, okay, I only got eight, nines, and tens working here because that's the way it has to be. Um, and it took me years to finally get to that, but I can tell you now I'm absolutely there. I, I'm in the same I – can't, I can't carry people like they can't do the job, and I certainly give them every opportunity to do it, but there's just some people that just weren't suited to do whatever you're asking them to do. Your reaction to that, Laura? Uh, I, he's right. I mean, as always. I mean, we always know Jay's right. Um <laughs> But yeah, you don't have no. to tell them that. At least for everyone else, not for myself. But uh, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, well, it's, 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 yeah, I mean, it's, it's okay. So that's the management piece. Now we move on to finance piece. And you're a bootstrapper. I don't know if you know this. Do you know that today is National Bootstrapper Day? No, I did not. Yes. Every day is National Bootstrapper Day. 
Oh, really? You, yes, you're making this day. up, right, Jay? I met, yes, but it's every day is National Boots Are Every Day. Like, we have control <laughs> over our destinies. We don't have to call up our VC partner. We don't have to call the new district manager that put, they put in charge of us. We can do what we want. So that's one of our advantages in the marketplace. So the question is, Money-wise, are you have you thought about raising money? Are you still bootstrapping? Are you you know what? Where are you at on that? If you had more money, could you do something more that would help the business grow? Um, that's an interesting question and very timely. We invested a couple hundred um, for us. That's a lot this year. Uh, so we did have the money and we did invest it to try to grow the business. And how did you spend stuff, it? Um, I bought another company. Um, and acquire that. And so we're extending our product line. We're doing a lot more independent, like what we call Just It Jimmy's products that are things that only we carry and that reflect kind of our personality. Uh, and one of them was a company that had gone out of business a couple years ago that we picked back up and we're uh, reigniting. So that was buying the company, buying the inventory, and then we launched another um, patented set of line of products that are just for us. So we invested in that. And then we invested in updating our website um, and hiring some software engineers to come and help do that. And that stuff all failed, but the new products were very successful. How did the website stuff fail? Um, well, that's a complicated question. <laughs> uh, it's a more pointed question. In hindsight, you look back at your decision making on doing that and thinking, God, what was I thinking? Or, or was it just one of those gambles you took and you didn't know? You know, it was a gamble that we took. Um, I think it was the right decision. I just wish it had ended up differently. Um, it's, you know, the hiring part of it. Have you ever hired somebody that, you know, at the time when you hired them, you really, really thought it was the best thing that you were doing and that they were really going to work out? I've only Um, done that about 300 times. Yeah, given the information that you had at the time, given your experience and given what you need, you hired somebody and it didn't work out, you know, and it just wasn't, they weren't who you thought they were and you weren't who you thought you were. Uh, And so that's what we did. You know, we gambled and we lost. Let me ask Jay's question uh, coming from a slightly different direction uh, in terms of how money gets spent. When you look at competitors that are raising venture capital, how are they spending the money? They're usually just copying the stuff that we do, <laughs> but they do it faster and they do it better. They're spending it on technology. Um, and actually, that's not true. They're spending it on technology and then they're spending it on price cutting. So they're not making a profit. So they buy the same, you know, let's say we both buy our products for 10 bucks and sell it for 20 Well, they're buying it for $10 and they sell it for 11 So is this part of uh, the reason you're not growing? Have you actually had to reduce prices because of the increased competition? No, I refuse to. Good for you. I refuse to play the price game. Uh, We're living in a time, you're not, everyone's dealing with this where these companies come out and they, they say, oh, we're saving the consumer. Like all they're doing is losing money. It doesn't take a genius to lose money. So they make it sound like they're saving the world. Lauren, you remember that company we talked about years, not that many years ago, the appliance store, which maybe we shouldn't mention the name, but I said, Lauren, this makes no sense. And then I go to New York and I see they got a big store there. And I said, Lauren, this makes no sense. And then poof, overnight they're out of business. I mean, there's a bunch of businesses out there that look successful that aren't. They just have venture capital until it runs out. And you're dealing with it. I'm dealing with it. 
Yep, it's Birchbox. I was just reading the article, you know, written a little while ago. And it's funny, Lauren, you know, you and I talked a couple of years ago when we launched our $10 a month subscription service uh, because we're modeling it after Stitch Fix and Birchbox and all of these damn companies. Excuse and me, you, couldn't, you couldn't fill those boxes fast enough, as I recall. No. You know why? Because you're losing money. That's why everybody's <laughs> buying. You know, well, it's, it's, it's remarkable you brought them up. My kid got me for Father's Day a, a, a subscription from there. And I said to him, I go, thanks, Mitchell. This was, a, this was a thanks for aggravation for Father's Day because they started sending me these boxes. I don't want the stuff that's in there. I called them. I said, hey, can you just give them a refund? No, we can't do that. And then I, I called back and I go, couldn't you just give me a credit for, for – and then I gave them the idea. Yeah, they gave me the credit that I could use on something else. But they don't understand, like, 101 customer service. I had to send them an email that said, I'm a retailer. I figured out a long time ago it just isn't worth pissing off customers. You could have just given me a credit, and I would have been happy. Now I tell everyone I know how screwed up you guys are. So then finally they respond and tell me you'll give me a credit. Did I have to explain that to them, though? Because they not figure that on their own apparently not jay did you really no. say thanks for the aggravation to your son yes i did thank you tell him <laughs> don't get me anything for no it was yeah <laughs> yes i did because i don't you, know, you get this box and it's stuff you don't want or need i already got a messy office so now i got one more box in there and and yeah don't buy me yeah. any gifts that's the lesson i you know <laughs> i think that is the lesson laura with, with your situation do you think you weren't charging enough if you had charged more could it have worked um, yeah, we could have, it could, and it does work. I mean, it actually, it's a huge, we have evolved and we've just learned better financial controls. We've learned how to get good prices, you know, we've evolved and it's, it, now it is a very profitable model, but it wasn't a profitable model, you know, the way that we set out. Um, and I think my point kind of is that here I, and today's point as well, I'm out here copying or sometimes I can get sucked into comparing myself to competitors who don't need to make a profit and who just get a lot of PR. And just because you're on the cover of a magazine doesn't necessarily mean you're doing the right thing and that it's going to last for a really long time. Um, Lauren, you know, so do, wait, Lauren do you remember the front cover of Inc. had that guy on it with the clothes business? And I said to yep, one no of the, you were... And I said to one of them, this was a while ago, and I said to the writer, I said, you know that guy you wrote about? I did some research. He inflated his sales by like threefold. He was saying what the retail dollars were instead of what his sales were. And he turns to me and he goes, oh, yeah, he's out of business. Yeah. Yeah, front yep. cover of a magazine, and a year later, it's all over the place. It's like it's yeah. entrepreneur pornography is what it is. There's all these articles on all these wonderful companies, but they're private, so you don't know their numbers. They act like they're setting right. the world on fire, and then poof, they're gone one day. You know what, Jay? It all over. It is what it is. Yes, it is. Exactly. I'm dealing with it. Laura, let me, let me ask you this. I'd, I'd like to go back to uh, to Amazon. Um, I, I wonder if there's some way for you to do – I know a, a handful of retailers who sell most of their stuff through their own site, but they do a little bit on Amazon just because that's where everybody goes when they want to search for a product. Have you looked at ways to do something on Amazon? We sure have. Um, I just – and. I'm, and again, maybe this is where I need help, but I'm stubborn. It's not who we are, and I don't want to be them. I don't want to list on eBay 10 years ago. I don't want to list on Amazon because our brand is – we're better than that, and we're different. Well, they're high-end uh, brands on Amazon. Sure. I, I don't, And I don't mean we're better than that. I just mean 
I just want to do my thing. And if we can make a living doing my thing and our thing, um, and I want to be disruptive and rebellious, and I don't want to go with the herd. Uh, it's a big herd on Amazon. What do you think of this, why. Jay? It's, the reason why is because today is bootstrapper day. That's why. You just describe bootstrapping. You're going to do what you want that you think is best for your customers and best for yourself and best for your staff. And you know what? More power to you because at the end of the day, I am confident when all the dust settles and there's the next recession and all the venture capital guys start running, it's not like we didn't see this movie before. You think when the economy takes a tank, these venture capital people are going to keep throwing money into losing ventures? I don't think so. So it will happen eventually, and the people that are truly know their domain, have domain expertise, and are truly can taking care of customers and doing good things, I believe we will all be fine, and the venture capital people will go back to putting money into other stuff. That's what I believe. That's a really good one. Um, yeah, and you know what, Lauren? I think as well, to Jay's point, with the Amazon, to go and to pursue that route is going to take up some time and energy that I would rather put in innovation. You know, and Right now, what I'm accepting is we're not as big as I thought we were going to be three years ago, and maybe that just doesn't matter. You know, we're working on profitability. We're working on paying our employees more. I'm really – that's one of my biggest roadblocks right now is I'm just – Reno had the fourth highest rent increase in the country last year, and it's not fair. It's not right. It's not right that these guys are still coming to work every day, and all of a sudden their quality of life has gone down by no fault of their own. So how do I increase profit so I can pay people more to keep up with the rent prices that none of us have any control over? Jay, any thoughts on that? Through number, you just went through number three. We're doing a good thing. Good for you. And and what and, and a sign of maturity, you know, people think you go into business, you're, you get it all figured out in five years. You're still a young entrepreneur. You're figuring it out. It isn't about the top. It's not about the growth. It's about the bottom line. It's about, and the bottom line includes your employees and their rents and everything else. And I'm in a happy place now because I'm not as big as I thought I'd be after, I don't know, 20 years ago. But but I'm just I'm plenty big. It's I'm big enough, and things are fine. And you're you're getting to the stage where you're questioning. Wait, did I really need to grow at 20 percent? No, you probably don't. So good for you that you've you've gotten to a new uh, milestone in entrepreneurship. Mm, thank you. Are you buying that, Laura? Does it feel that way? I am. Yeah. You good. know, Lauren, I've known you for a while, and hanging out in the circles of the VC and the, you know, the fast growing companies and you get really caught up in the sexiness of it um, and of being big and being great and, you know, all those things. And I've kind of just, I'm not attached to that anymore. And it feels so much better. And it, I feel like I have a lot more control over everything by, and that I'm allowed to be myself instead of trying to be who I think I'm supposed to be. And you know why? Cause at the end of the day, Life is good. You're an entrepreneur. You got control over your destiny. You're providing jobs. You can do the right thing for customers. You can do the right thing for your employees. You can do the right thing for the neighborhood. Hallelujah. That's all I can say. Yeah, well, and I've got a sandbox to play in, you know, and that's what I have to, you know, for the selfish part of me is like I get paid to play, you know, and to have an outlet for all of my crazy, weird ideas. Which are the ideas that built your business? Uh, you've been a really innovative uh, marketer, and um, you know I remember you know following your campaigns. If, if you know if it was the Olympics, whatever it was, you would figure out a way to tie it to to, to yarn, 
and create something. And I'm sure that'll continue to work. We've got to take a break and I'm going to have to let you go, Laura. But uh, I would just encourage you to think about Amazon. It's a, it's a huge channel of potential customers out there. Jay and I know somebody who sells uh, artificial Christmas trees, a company that he bootstrapped in Silicon Valley. And he does most of his business, a uh, fairly large business, uh, on through his own website. But he also keeps something on Amazon just because that's the biggest search engine for people who are looking to buy stuff. And I think at some point it might make sense for you. Last word. Stop torturing yourself. You've done a phenomenal job. We're in control of our own destiny. We're doing a good thing. Stop torturing yourself. But thanks for your phone call, Laura. (laughs) Yeah, thank you guys for listening, and thanks for your advice. Appreciate it. We will talk to you again soon. Uh, We do have to take a break now, uh, but we'll be right back with Jay Galtz. When we come back, we'll talk more. Uh, about what holds businesses back. Um, if, uh, if you're struggling with something, if it's raising enough money, if it's finding the right employees, give us a call. We're at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Uh, you're listening to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman, and this is Business Radio, powered by the Warden School on Sirius XM 132. You're listening to Mind Your Business with the Wharton Small Business Development Center. Here again is Lauren Feldman. Welcome back to Mind Your Business on Sirius XM 132. I'm Lauren Feldman. I'm here with Jay Goltz taking your calls. Jay's been crawling through the small business trenches for decades on Twitter. He's at Jay Small Biz. If you have a question or a comment, our number is 1-844-WHARTON. That's one 844 Nine four two seven eight six six. Let's go to uh, Dan in Georgia. Dan, welcome to Mind Your Business. Hey, how you guys doing? Doing great. Thanks for calling. That's What's good. on your mind? I just jumped in the truck right in the tail end where she was saying that uh, at the end of her conversation that about the things she was doing, she had to do differently or whatever. And I just I found it remarkable that that Amazon is actually an extension of the customer. And they are the market that's saying, hey, listen, this is how we want and what we want. And her level of nonconformity seems like it's kind of the one that's in her way. Jay, somebody agrees with me about Amazon. What do you think? Um, maybe. There's, there's, it's not as simple as that. There's, there's, if you've, you, know, you brought up the Christmas tree guy, it's not like he hasn't had his challenges with it. It's, it's when you're trying to promote a a brand that you have a connection to the customer and it's, it's, it's just not that I'm not saying she should be on there or not be on there, but it's, it is a little more complicated, but maybe, maybe she should be on there, but it's, it's, there's a lot of commodities on there that are faceless that no one cares what the company is. They just wanted the cheapest price. And I don't think that's the business she's in. But, but, and, I, and I do remember y'all had a guy on a month or so ago about that book about Amazon, the marketplace. And, uh, he was saying all the inner workings on there and kind of Amazon's kind of the new Walmart that they dictate certain pricing. And that's a, that's a very legitimate point, Dan. It's, you know, Amazon is not easy to deal with. And the example I cited, uh, <laughs> he could talk to you all day about the, the problems he's had with Amazon. But uh, the fact is, there are a lot of people there. Uh, Dan, thank you very much for your phone call. Really appreciate it. Uh, let's go to another Dan in California. Welcome to Mind Your Business. Uh, hi, thanks for having me. I uh, love your show. Thank you. I've worked in the fashion industry and worked with Amazon over 10 years. Uh, and to the caller that called in recently, 
I would like to recommend that Amazon itself, which is considered Amazon retail, is very difficult to build a brand with because you uh, lose control of your pricing and your integrity. But they have a, another division that's called FBA. It's Fulfillment by Amazon. And you pay a fee, but you have complete control over your pricing, over your brand marketing. And uh, this would give her that big market because it's a shame to pass up the biggest retailer in the world uh, because of what she thinks are issues of losing control of her brand. But FBA is a, is, a, is a good program. You get the same exposure on Amazon as you would if you were on Amazon retail, but you gain complete control of your pricing, which is very important to build a brand. I believe that's what my uh, Christmas tree friend does. Uh, Jay, does that change your thinking at all? I don't need to change thinking. I said may, I'm going to look into it myself. Maybe. Uh, it certainly is interesting, yes. I, I, but I, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just going, I think anyone who just says it's either one of those two, it's more nuanced than that. But that's interesting. I thank you for calling because I'm going to look into that because I've sold photo frames online and I continue to. You can't ignore it. So, yeah, that's good insight. But, again, it, I think you got to look at your own company and figure out how it fits in. Dan, do you have any specific tips for someone trying to get started on uh, Amazon uh, or fulfillment by Amazon? I think we lost. Uh, back to Dan. Yes. Dan, do you have any well, you, specific uh, tips for yeah, somebody? You, you reach out. Um, you know, I would encourage them to, you know, reach out to somebody who has experience because – Amazon is very difficult to work with. It was built to sell books, and uh, it's a very bulky system. It's very difficult to get any help on it. Uh, they've cut way back, and basically the machine has taken over. Uh, the machine works on algorithms, and it really runs the program. So it's hard to, to reach out. I first recommendation would be you know, find somebody out there that has experience with Amazon to help you. Uh, second of all is if you can't do that, reach out directly to Amazon FBA. FBA program has two different programs within it. It's fulfillment by Amazon. You send them inventory to certain warehouses they specify, and they charge you a fee. Second is, is that you do your own fulfillment at Amazon, and you pay less of a fee, storage fee, and handling. So uh, there are two options within FBA also. That's very helpful, Dan. Thank you so much for your phone call. Really appreciate it. If you have a question or a comment or uh, a situation that you're struggling with, please give us a call. We're at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Let's, uh, let's go to Sue in Nevada. Welcome to the show, Sue. Hi. Thank you. Um, loving the program, so thank you. Thank you. Um, we're a uh, small business, but 50 employees. Uh, we make a uh, high-end, uh, we're manufacturer, direct-to-consumer. Uh, our product starts at $130,000. And traditionally, because of where we are in the marketplace and our reputation, um, we've been able to get very, very good PR, you know, uh, uh, great press in places like Forbes and Wall Street Journal. But something that's really shifted in the last couple of years there was certainly that, um, you know, the influencer market where there was a lot of people where you really didn't know what their numbers were. And, you know, we didn't really go into that because we were looking to talk to uh, legitimate, um, not to say they weren't, but more legitimate traditional press. But the interesting thing I'm noticing in the last six to nine months 
is a lot of those, and I'm not talking specifically about the Wall Street Journal or Forbes, but many other publications are obviously struggling and expanding their lines of business. So that when we go to them now and say, hey, we, you know, we've got a new product we're coming out with, you know, we've got gorgeous photography, all the things that traditionally would have got us the article, they're coming back and saying to us, oh, by the way, we've got a new line of business we're doing. We would either like one of your products, at the, you know, for, and we'll give you X pages in the magazine, uh, you know, and we can't afford to give them a $150,000 product for eight pages that at 100,000 viewership that's not even a subscription, you know, that's total magazine. So the numbers are all off. These offer these, uh, these uh, proposals they're giving us are insanity. Um, because they're struggling with their businesses, we get it. Um, just wondering if you've got any comments or experiences on this and just any thoughts. Uh, can you tell I, us first what the product is that you're selling for $150,000? Uh, uh, it, it is, uh, we brought back a product in the 1930s. Uh, it was the original uh, travel trailer. Uh, aluminum travel trailer. We brought it wow. back, and it is, is without a doubt the halo product in the industry. We also our backgrounds in tech. Uh, we were we did a number of first first lithium uh, uh, travel trailer, uh, powered travel trailer goes off grid for seven days, heated floors. It is known as the best in the world, um, and and it's you know it's it's been a as any manufacturer, and I'm sure your guests will say you know manufacturing it has its challenges. Um, and we've done we've done well, but and and we've always gotten great media. It's I can see why. Odd sort of, but you know it's this trend, and I see these people struggling with their businesses and publications. And I'm not talking about small publications; these are been around for 15, 30 years, and and the world is shifting every day. I think, as as you both acknowledge, um, it's just hard for us to think about how we're going to be able to engage with these people in a place that we don't have a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars uh to give away or four you know, four hundred thousand dollars to give away uh off our products or customize them for them when we don't even know if their business models are real. I've I'm in a very similar situation and the whole marketing slash advertising of the world world has completely shifted and the whole notion of oh there's a firewall i laugh there's no firewalls anymore it's like the salespeople are like they're like they're they're in right with the editorial people it's unbelievable how i've had the same experience you have with you try to get something put in get into a magazine and all of a sudden they're trying to sell you stuff so here's what i've done that I've had to re-examine everything we've always done so i'm i'm doing pay per click do you do pay per click with google uh, it, because of our who we're looking for is so specific, we uh, we have not had great success, and we've worked directly with Google uh, directly. And um, because of who we look for, uh, hasn't been fabulous. Doesn't mean we don't do it, but uh, it's it's not the uh, the answer. Okay, so here's just what happened last week. I'm looking at what you know. I'm I'm looking at a charge card bill, and I see these thousands of dollars going to Google, and I realize that one of the things that's happened is these venture capital funds that are putting money into some online framing, they're throwing all this money on the Google ad click campaigns, and all it's done is raise the prices of, of Google ad click. And the fact of the matter is, and I have friends that are in the same situation. 
sometimes it's not worth it. So I said to myself, okay, let's let's redeploy that money and put it back somewhere else. So I look at I look in my toolbox that I've been using for 40 years. I'm, okay, maybe you should go back in the radio. Mm. Not, I'm not sure Sirius has taken a lot of the radio market out and, and all those other things. That's changed dramatically. So then you look at newspapers, you look at magazines, and we've concluded all the stuff that I used to do over the last 40 years isn't working anymore. And we're, we're starting to think that coming up naturally on, on uh, organically is, is, is working nicely. One option I'm starting to think about, which I would have never considered years ago, is don't spend the money. Just stop. Just just. Just don't don't blow the money because it's not going to pay for itself, and you're better off saving a hundred thousand dollars a year because some of these vehicles won't work. We're also looking into you know, and then you've got the PR thing, which might be worth doing. So the point of the story is, you really have to relook at everything you've always done with marketing and advertising dollars because the landscape has changed so dramatically that what used to work might be a complete waste of money now. And there might be a new vehicle to go after. And and one option, like I said, is given how we come up organically, maybe I should just cut back on my advertising budget. Sue, so, and, and you know, it's interesting. That's exactly we've done exactly that. We we look at everything uh, just on it honestly at this point because things are changing so quickly on an ad hoc basis. But it's just I'm kind of you know that it, it it's obviously come in waves where you know the. The influencers were a big deal, and that obviously, you know, directly affected the magazines. Now the magazines are looking for alternatives, and I, you know, I completely concur with you. I was hoping you were going to give me a, a delicious nugget, but I completely agree. So let me say a couple of things. One, in defense of my uh, colleagues in the world of journalism, um, there still is that separation between church and state at a lot of places, not all of them, unfortunately. Uh, if you're talking to somebody about uh, them possibly doing a story about you and they demand product from you, you're talking to the wrong place. Uh, that is that's not a standard operating procedure. That's not good. Uh, and you should run in the other direction. Uh, agreed, except that the problem is agreed. At the, you know, we had nothing but fabulous experiences at places like the, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, uh, Forbes, um, uh, Wired. I mean, I can go through all the big players, completely agree. But I think your guests will, will, will agree that in the lifestyle, uh, when you move more to lifestyle, that, you know, uh, those uh, publications have traditionally been a, a, a trade for service or other things where they're looking to expand. So I'm I sure you're right, Sue. I, I didn't mean to, yeah. to doubt you yeah. that it happens. Um, I w- I'm just encouraging you not to play with them. Um, the, the second thing I wanted to ask you about is um, you say that you've um, you, you refer to the influencers uh, and the impact that's had on uh, the publishing industry. Did did you try that yourself? Did you try to uh, develop influence, influencers to uh, to market your product? Um, so what we decided to do was that because our brand needs to be so closely controlled. Um, that we uh, uh, luckily, I am I am blessed with having a uh, well, in fact, a Wharton grad, but in fact, uh, a very knowledgeable, fabulous uh, female CEO uh, who's uh, young and vibrant and uh, does an excellent job leading us. And uh, what we've been particularly uh, blessed with, because she is uh, well spoken and obviously. Um, you know, she's involved in all aspects of the business, designing it, et cetera. 
we decided that we would expand our conversation with our own users. We have a weekly newsletter. Uh, it's very thoughtfully uh, written uh, under her guidance and uh, speaks to really what our core values are. And so we've expanded that to a very uh, large group and so that it was a way for us to control the brand instead of potentially getting sucked into a influencer says they have so many people. We really don't know if they are potential customers for us and somebody says what their, their group is. We're able to qualify and know um, our people better that we're speaking to. And that has been really, really, it's a lot of work. I'm not going to say it hasn't been, but it's been excellent because we've been able to prospect from that, and it's been very good for us. I'm having the exact same experience with the influence, influencers. Some of them are great, and some of them are like, you know, it's unbelievable. Oh, here, give us eight thousand dollars for, and like, you don't even know who they're. they're, they're people but, are, but wait, let me stop you both. The, you, there's more than way, one way to do this. You don't just have to go to an influencer who claims to have a community of, of followers. You can identify people. I, you know, if somebody buys your product for $150,000, Sue, I'm guessing a lot of them are putting a picture of it up somewhere on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, and you can identify people because they've already uh, purchased your product. And it doesn't matter if they don't have a huge following. You should be looking for those people. And then, you know, if somebody posts uh, a picture of your product on Instagram, even if they, you know, even if only three people have looked at it, you can boost um, that audience you can pay to make sure more people see it and do the influencer marketing that way uh, and, and build a, build a following that way I would think uh, you could be all over that we, we do we do all of that however uh, and it may be your guest shares it as well um, if you're a high net individual in this country you've probably left Facebook uh, you probably be mayor at a certain age you're not on Instagram and you really don't want people to know where you are. And so although there are people, and we do, um, we do have several people who, uh, and many owners who live a more public life, I'll call it, do exactly what you say. At the same time, uh, we are big fans of We lost you there, Sue. Are you still there? The owners who would do it. Yeah. Sue, so yeah, we lost so we you. You said you're big fans of owners who... Uh, we're, we're, we're big fans that, that if people want to do that, however, there is lots of people who want to respect their privacy. They don't post. They don't want people to know what they own. Sure. Um, you know, no and they don't know what, and they don't know what Instagram is. Throw that in. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it, you don't see that many people who are, I'm going to say 55 plus, who are heavy users of Instagram. So we do work it. In terms of their children are, are on Instagram, we're lever, you know, we're, we're we're pretty savvy marketers leveraging, and certainly we do that. I'm talking about more that the um, influencer crowd who says, "Yes, I'm an influencer, and I want eight thousand um, dollars." That's not something we produce. So, Sue, the golden nugget today is you're doing just fine. Good for you. Happy Bootstrap or Entrepreneur Day. <laughs> <laughs> And Lauren, I got to tell you, you've been out of the magazine business for three three weeks already. Things have changed since you left. It's you, you know, things move fast. So, Sue, I'm sorry we didn't have a magic bullet for you, but I hope this was helpful. It's okay. I'm a little exhausted from the 40 years of bootstrapping, but I'm with y'all. So I love the show. Lots of great comments. 
and uh, wish you both uh, great success. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, please, uh, if you figure something out, give us a call back. We'd love to talk to you again and, and, and hear how it's going. Jay, we got about a, a minute left. We uh, a lot of great conversations today. A lot of very honest entrepreneurs sharing their real uh, stories. Starting with you, it's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. Any any uh, anything to tie this up? Any uh, thought or two to remember? Not, yes. Here's the thought. It's not the income that matters. It's the outcome. <laughs> and the outcome includes income. I'm not saying this is a non-for-profit. I'm just saying success comes in many forms, and it's but, not just about making money. It's about the impact you're making, and are you happy? Because a lot of these people that you read about But I don't, I'm going to stop you. I don't want people to get the wrong impression. When you say that, when you say it is what it is, you're not saying there's nothing that can be done and you might as well all. roll over. Right. Well, you're... No, I'm saying deal with it. That's what I'm saying. Right. It is what it is. Deal with it. And there's usually a solution that you can figure out that, you know, that you just got to think it out and, and don't fall into the trap of falling into absolutes with everybody does this or nobody does that because that's, you know, people who speak in absolutes are always wrong. So there's always a nuance in between there. So we had some great comments, like the, just the whole thing with the um, Amazon thing. That's worth looking into. I, it, you know. it is. I'm, so, I'm sorry we didn't have uh, the magic solution for Sue, but um, but let's. I both... think the magic solution is maybe she feels better that she's doing the right thing because I've had the exact same experience she has, and you know we're figuring it out. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'd still rather have the magic solution if we could get it. But next week, maybe you had next a two time. Hour show, we could have gotten to the magic solution. <laughs> so you need to talk to the powers that be there. We were just that's right. If we had another hour, magic. we would have solved it. I think yes. you're right, Jay. There you go. Yeah. Jay Goltz, thank you once again for joining us. If you want to keep up me. with Jay, go to GoltzGroup.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at Jay Smallbiz. Unfortunately, we have run out of time, but we're here live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. My thanks to audio engineer Dion Simpkins and producer Michelle Stucker. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter at L Feldman. And if you like what you heard here, check out the Oxford Morning Report, the Oxford Center's daily newsletter, which you can find by Googling the Oxford Morning Report. Until next time, I'm Lauren Feldman, and this has been Mind Your Business on Business Radio, powered by the Warden School, Sirius XM 132. Thanks for listening, everybody. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 